Welcome to 17 Minutes, a BoJack Horseman podcast. My name is Kat, and this is the series where we do a deep dive into BoJack Horseman and find hidden gags, metaphors, and deeper meanings in the show. First, I'd like to thank my host and sponsor, Anchor. I also want to note that I'm rewatching this with you. Occasionally, there will be a gag or a bit of foreshadowing I'll miss, so if there's something I don't mention in one episode that's pertinent in a future one, don't worry, I'll get there. We're on this ride together. In future episodes of this podcast, I might also have segments on further thoughts I may have missed in previous ones, or particularly good comments and insights that my followers have that I may not have thought about before. With proper credit, of course. I also want to say that from the bottom of my heart, I really and truly appreciate all of your support. I am blown away by how many of you listened to my first episode. TikTok will remain the place for my more random thoughts about the show, and this will go through and explore each episode in chronological order. I will still make time for a segment on audience questions, though, so please feel free to send me some on TikTok or Twitter. My handle on both of those platforms is KerseyCat, which is K-E-I-R-S-E-Y-C-A-T. So, without further ado, what do I know? Do I know things? Let's find out. Today we're exploring Season 1, Episode 2, Bojack Hates the Troops. Or, as I like to call it, Bojack Gets Gaslit. Quite frankly, I find this to be one of the more lackluster episodes, although it does make some excellent points that I agree with wholeheartedly, and it does, of course, have some great moments, whether they're important to the overall plot or just for fun. Something to note is that this was one of the episodes originally included in the pitch treatment, although it was called Bojack Supports the Troops, and in it, Neil McBeal was a greyhound who got a reality show from his 15 minutes of fame on Fox News, which later became MSNBC. We open at Bellican's, the bar that Bojack will go to throughout the series. It's nothing fancy and doesn't look to be particularly expensive. I'm sure it's just the closest bar to Bojack's house. The bartender is, of course, a pelican. He's serving Bojack some whiskey, and he says, say when, and Bojack, alcoholic that he is, takes quite a while to say when. A woman named Pam, played by Judy Greer, is in the background, gossiping about how she can see Bojack Horseman from horsing around to a friend on the phone. Bojack is pleased at first, but then clearly annoyed because she says that he got fatter. I touched on this some in a TikTok series I did, so please feel free to go find that. It's labeled Fat Phobia and Bojack Horseman. And I will continue to touch on it as this podcast goes on, but I honestly think that Bojack has some serious, serious body image issues. It's only natural that he would, considering the childhood that he had, the generational trauma and the Sugarman family surrounding weight and food, and the pressures of celebrity. But so much of his negative self-talk is centered around his weight and fear of being or appearing to be fat. It's a massive insecurity for him. I think the show deals with body image and fatness in a really beautiful way, as we'll especially see in later seasons with Diane. But it's a deep, deep problem for Beatrice and Bojack in particular. And there's the fact that he was famous during the quote-unquote prime of his life in his 20s and early 30s when he was in peak physical shape and... As we see in real life, we as a society are punitively critical of people who age and don't look exactly the same as they did when they were young. Take Will Arnett, for example. Beautiful man. I'd say that the past 10 years or so have brought us some of his finest work and showcased his incredible emotional range. And this is coming from a massive Arrested Development fan. But because he's now 51 and no longer in his Joe Bluth season one body, I've seen people criticize his appearance, which is entirely unfair and irrelevant to his work since he's grown so much into himself as an actor in the last decade. 
We'll see this theme of Bojack's body issues throughout the episode, and I honestly didn't notice how frequent they were on my first watch of the show, but in subsequent watches, it's painful to see just how deeply rooted these issues are and just how frequently they come up. Bojack gets a phone call, distracting him from Pam. An 8-bit version, or 16-bit or 32-bit, I'm sorry y'all, I don't know my bits, of the horse and around theme plays as his ringtone. Princess Carolyn is calling. He answers the phone, I told you I don't know where it is. Don't put things in my butt if you don't want them back. (laughs) Unfortunately, it is to Laura, Princess Carolyn's assistant, played by Rachel Bloom. Jellicle Cats from the iconic Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Cats plays as Princess Carolyn's hold music. Now, speaking of Rachel Bloom and musicals, I'd like to take just a second to recommend to you another show. If you're into mental health, particularly BPD, and musicals, I really think you'd enjoy her show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It deals with mental health issues in a funny and heartwarming way, similarly to how BoJack does, although I would say that it never gets as deep as BoJack Horseman. Anyway, I'm a massive Crazy Ex-Girlfriend fan, and the songs are really catchy, so give it a shot if you're into that kind of thing. I think you'll enjoy it. Anyway, back to BoJack Horseman. We see Princess Carolyn in her office for the first time. She has a scratching post on her desk with a little mouse that we regularly see her bat at when she's on the phone. Bojack is irritated that she couldn't get him into the room for the movie War Horse. He says he didn't want to be the War Horse, just a horse. There were at least 10 horses in that movie. She wants to make sure he's all set for his first day with Diane. He wonders if she'll ask him a bunch of personal questions, and she says, the woman you're paying to ghostwrite your memoir? Yeah, probably. Bojack then, like in the last episode, performs a bit of a speciesist microaggression. He says, there's no need to get, and before he can finish, Princess Carolyn says, catty. Were you going to say catty? He says he was, because she's a cat. She hangs up on him, annoyed, as she hits the mouse on the scratching post. He asks if Laura got the joke, and Princess Carolyn instructs her not to respond. A quick background gag, there's a photo behind Laura's desk, a headshot of John Hamm, who is a pig. Bojack reassures himself that Laura got it, going once again into his desperate need for approval in his comedy. By this time, Pam's two friends have shown up, and they're taking photographs of Bojack. One of them is a chicken, and they're both laughing, but the chicken is making little balking chicken noises, which I just think is really great. Bojack goes to leave, but then decides to confront the women, telling them that they ruined his night and hoping they feel crappy about it. He says he feels self-conscious. They ask if they were bothering him so much, why didn't he just leave? And he says because he didn't think about that and now he feels stupid, which in my opinion is pretty fucked up. I feel like he shouldn't have to leave just because they're being dicks. They're the ones being dicks. He has every right to be there too. This is reason number one that I call this the Bojack Gets Gaslit episode. Pam says that they have a right to be there and he does his upset horse face where his ears go back and he yells, no, maybe because you're skinny, maybe because you're pretty, you're used to getting away with things, but I want you to know your actions have an effect on others and I hate you and you're a horrible person. You not understanding that you're a horrible person doesn't make you less of a horrible person. Now, I think this is a very important moment. It's an ongoing theme in Bojack's life, except generally he's the one being a horrible person. I find it fascinating that he does recognize that this is a problem, that not understanding that you're a horrible person doesn't make you less of a horrible person, but he can't seem to apply that to himself. This is just something I didn't notice on my first watch, and I've been thinking about it since I heard it on this 13th rewatch. She says, you think I'm pretty? And they go home together because, as he says himself, he has no self-respect. 
In the next scene, they're in bed together and he takes a drag of a cigarette and chuffs as he seems to audibly regret the interaction, despite not seeming too steamed about it. She was tweeting about all the weird stuff he does in bed. As we saw in the last episode, Bojack does have some strange auto-erotic fantasies, so God only knows what he was doing this time. I mentioned earlier that I was an Arrested Development fan, and just a side note, if you've never seen the show, please go watch it. It is another bit of Will Arnett at his absolute finest. It is so funny. I've been watching it since I was a kid, and honestly, other than BoJack, I would say it's my favorite show. But if you haven't seen the show, you might be interested to know that Judy Greer and Will Arnett work together on it. She plays Kitty Sanchez, an absolutely hysterical character, and she and Will Arnett's Job have a couple of really great interactions, at least one of which was sexual. I don't know if actors recorded in the room together or separately on BoJack, so although this is probably just a case of a fantastic comedic actress guest starring on a fantastic comedic show, I personally like to think that this was a little Arrested Development callback. Or, at the very least, a fun reunion for old friends. And then we get to the theme song. I mentioned in the last episode that the background during the theme song often changes, but nothing has changed from last episode's theme to this one's, so we'll skip going through all that again until there's something new to note. We see that Bojack has crashed his car outside of his house because he was so drunk last night coming home from Bellican's with Pam, and then we see him go out into the living room. Pam is still there and startles him, wearing his sweater and eating a toaster strudel. Remember in the previous episode when Todd ate all of his toaster strudel before he could have any? He says that it better not be the last one, and she replies that there were three more. This is important to take note of. He tells her to leave so that he can meet with his memoirist. He's forgotten her name. Diane is already sitting at his counter eating a toaster strudel. She says he told her to come at nine, and he says that that doesn't sound like him, and it turns out to be something that he emailed her while high on horse tranquilizers, since he's a horse. He also mentions in the email that he's alone, so alone, so, so alone, and repeatedly asks her not to put things in his book. Then it devolves into him no longer making sense as he's fallen asleep on the keyboard or was just that high. And he says, that sounds like him. One of the bits of attention to detail that I love so much on the show, which I've mentioned before, is the animal body language that they occasionally utilize. Now, I'm a Texas girl. I rode horses both for leisure and for competition up until early adulthood. I even did local rodeo sometimes as a kid. Any other former barrel racers listening? My point is, I know my way around a horse. Not as well as Lisa Hannawalt, mind you, but I do remember their body language pretty well, even though it's been a couple of years since I've gotten on horseback. And Bojack's expression here is one of my favorites that he makes in the show. As she's reading the email, he makes a face that horses make when they're startled and trying to communicate, usually to other horses, but sometimes just in general, that they didn't like whatever just happened, where their ears go back and they show their teeth. Please go look up the face Bojack is making here if you can't remember it, because it makes me laugh every time. Pam is still there, and he tells her to leave. Mr. Peanut Butter is digging in his freezer. Bojack asks why he's there, and Peanut Butter says that it's a funny story that he's filming a reality show and he's dropping by with the old tennis ball and chain. He takes a toaster strudel. Bojack says that that is neither funny nor a story, nor a reason to drop by. Diane has her arm around Peanut Butter's waist and is giving him scritches, and he's panting because he's a dog and he likes it. I understand why they couldn't retain as much of the animal body language as the show got more serious, but God, it was funny when it was more practical to use. Mr. Peanut Butter is excited because he's starring in a pilot presentation for a celebrity reality show and says that it's cutting edge, and Bojack says he'd be jealous if it was 2003. 
Mr. Peanut Butter says not to tell VH1 that, indicating that he knows. Now, y'all know me. It's time to pull out the art before the horse again. On the pages where Raphael Bob Waxberg and Lisa Hanawalt are explaining Mr. Peanut Butter, Raphael Bob Waxberg says he has a short attention span and a low IQ, but he's very genuine. Lisa says he has a low IQ. Raphael says he's not the brightest bulb in the box. Lisa says, yeah, that makes sense. Sometimes he's weirdly intuitive. Raphael, I think he also has an emotional intelligence. Lisa, yeah, he does. Raphael, um, but not always. Lisa, yeah, he's mostly a dummy. Raphael, he's often a dummy, but I also think he enjoys playing the dummy sometimes. You know, I think you see it in moments like in the first episode when Bojack and Princess Carolyn are breaking up and Mr. Peanut Butter goes, oh, would it be awkward if I joined you right now? Or at the end of season two, Out to Sea, when he's talking to Diane at a restaurant and he says, you know, there's a woman here who looks exactly like you. And it's kind of unclear in that moment whether he knows it's Diane. I think this is what we see here with the VH1 thing. Mr. Peanut Butter wants to be on a reality show, of course. He wants to be the center of attention. He's an actor. So he tells Bojack not to tell VH1. I think this is Mr. Peanut Butter being smarter than he appears. Although I do agree with Raphael Bob Waxberg. I don't think he's very smart. I think that he just enjoys playing the dummy sometimes. Now, where he's not playing the dummy is with the title. They're calling the show Peanut Butter and Jelly, Mr. Peanut Butter says. Get it? He says, flipping Bojack's regular quip. And Bojack doesn't get it because it's not a joke. Bojack asks who Jelly is, and Mr. Peanut Butter says that he doesn't understand wordplay, to which Bojack argues back using wordplay. This is something I completely understand on Bojack's part. This is reason 1.5 that I like to call this episode Bojack Gets Gaslit, because this is Mr. Peanut Butter, so I'm not actually mad about this one, but I do completely understand where Bojack is coming from here. Bojack asks how they got in, and they say that Todd let them in. We see Todd on the couch in a suit coat, eating a toaster strudel. If you're keeping up, it's the third one. Bojack realizes this and says that his morning is ruined. Todd is on an online date with a woman named Ayako, and says that in America, he's actually considered very handsome. Bojack wants to go get breakfast and tells them that only Diane and Todd should be there when he gets back, once again forgetting Pam's name. We cut to the next establishing shot outside Javon's supermarket. The name is a mashup of two real-life California grocery stores, John's Market and Vaughn's, which is owned by Albertsons. There is a mother meerkat with her three pups in a shopping cart in the parking lot, and when Bojack peels in, they do the little scared alert meerkat stare thing. Inside, we see the pink poodle and the corgi, who show up in the background of a couple of different episodes. The poodle says, I really shouldn't eat chocolate because it can literally kill me. And the corgi says, oh, I know, the poodle says, but I love chocolate. And the corgi says, story of my life. And they laugh like the two middle-aged women they are being bad over something like ordering French fries rather than a life-threatening, something like ordering French fries rather than an actual life-threatening, not allergy, but toxin. Bojack walks into the produce section to look at the apples and sees a pack of muffins in them. Then... We see him, my nemesis, Neil McBeal, the Navy SEAL. The only good thing about Neil McBeal is that he's played by the hilarious Patton Oswalt, who also plays Pinky Penguin and a handful of other characters. He says, excuse me, 
Bojack says, yes, I am Bojack Horseman, star of Horsin' Around. So twice now we've been robbed of, aren't you the horse from Horsin' Around? Neil McBeal doesn't care and says they're his muffins. Bojack does not understand because it makes no goddamn sense. It's the last box and Neil McBeal says that he had dibs. Bojack is skeptical of this, as he should be. Bojack doesn't even want the muffins, but now he does because he's upset with the situation, which I can absolutely relate to. It may be toxic, but I can relate to it. Neil didn't even put them in the cart. He didn't even get a cart. He just left them in the apples. That wasn't a sign to you that maybe someone else had dibs? Neil asks, nonsensically. Of course not, Neil. It's a sign to me that some people are assholes and leave shit all over the grocery store when they decide they don't want it anymore. In what world is that dibs? I have lived almost 27 years on this planet and I have never in my goddamn life heard of that being a way to call dibs in a store. In fact, you cannot call dibs in a store unless you literally put it on layaway or put it in a cart. Even if you hide something, you run the risk of someone else finding it. That's just the way the world works. You whiny fucking sea cow. You boorish fuck. I hate you, Neil McBeal. <laughs> of course, we don't know at this point that Neil McBeal is a Navy SEAL. Not that it should matter. Nobody should be able to behave this way. As a side note, I personally believe that Neil McBeal was the one who wrote that Navy SEAL copy pasta. That may be aging me, but you know the one. What the fuck did you just fucking say to me, you little bitch? That was Neil. Bojack puts the muffins in his handbasket and Neil gets angry, saying that he thinks that just because he's a celebrity, normal rules don't apply to him. What normal rules? In what world is that normal, Neil? Bojack says that he had a rough morning and Neil says that he spent the last 10 months, but Bojack leaves to buy the muffins before we can find out where he spent the last 10 months. This whole interaction is reason number two that I call this Bojack Gets Gaslit. A background note, there's a bunny looking at carrots in the produce section. Sometimes the simplest jokes are the best. Bojack, purely out of spite, buys the muffins, and Neil says that he'll regret it. Bojack says, what, do they have a lot of saturated fat in them, only to find that they do. This goes back to our theme of Bojack having massive body image issues and possibly an eating disorder. He's already forgotten why he bought them by the time he discovers this. Back to Bojack's house, Bojack is laying on the floor regretting buying the muffins and eating them all on the drive home. All 12 of them. This is where I feel like his ADHD comes back with this impulsivity, especially with food. If you want to know more on my thoughts about why Bojack has ADHD, please refer back to the last episode of this podcast, or you can look at my TikTok. There's a series on there a little ways back called Bojack ADHD and BPD. Todd says his date went very well, thanks for asking. Bojack, with his typical disinterest in things that aren't about him, says that he specifically didn't, and that he'd thank him to respect his total lack of interest in his personal life. Todd continues that Ayako is amazing and then lists a bunch of ways that she's obviously scamming him. But we stand an optimist king. Diane does seem concerned, but doesn't actually say anything and wants to get started on the book. We cut to our first flashback appearance of Beatrice and Butterscotch, although we don't yet learn their names. Butterscotch is reading a newspaper. The Beatles, as in B-E-E-T-L-E-S, call it quits. Beatrice has made him an omelet and throws it at him, saying, Sorry it's not as good as the one your secretary makes, but then you're not married to your secretary, are you? 
Butterscotch's ears are back in the angry horse ear position, and he says, maybe if my secretary also refused to get an abortion, I would be. This is a huge piece of foreshadowing and an important setup for the rest of Butterscotch and Beatrice's stories. Cut to the outside, there is a ram shearing the hedges, and he takes a bite. Establishing shots are really the best for great animal jokes. Then we cut back to Bojack's office. Diane wants to start at the beginning and asks what his childhood was like, to which he replies, normal. We cut to our first flashback appearance of Beatrice and Butterscotch, although we don't yet learn their names. Butterscotch is reading a newspaper. The Beatles, as in B-E-E-T-L-E-S, call it quits. Beatrice has made him an omelet and throws it at him, saying, Sorry it's not as good as the one your secretary makes, but then you're not married to your secretary, are you? Butterscotch's ears are back in the angry horse ear position, and he says, Maybe if my secretary also refused to get an abortion, I would be. This is a huge piece of foreshadowing and an important setup for the rest of Butterscotch and Beatrice's stories. Not only does Bojack talk about how many women he paid for abortions for in the 90s, we know that cheating is a huge issue for Butterscotch. Someone on TikTok asked me why they used Will Arnett for Butterscotch too. Let's explore that for a second. I think that generations... One of those instances leading to the existence of Hollyhock when Henrietta refuses the abortion. I think it's also worth noting that he says this right in front of Baby Bojack, who knows he is unwanted and unloved. Baby Bojack, in his adorable baby sailor suit, nervously asks if he can have an omelet, and Beatrice rolls her eyes but obliges, as he's the birthday boy. Can we just acknowledge the genius of Wendy Malick as this character for a second? She's just phenomenal. And I love Will Arnett's little baby Bojack voice. When she finally answers, she asks if he's watching MSNBC. She's at the gym. I think the familial relationships are very important in this show, even though we don't see that many of them. Bojack does not want to be like his father. Bojack doesn't like his father. His father was horrifically abusive to him for his entire childhood, and Bojack really didn't care when he found out that Butterscotch died. But he's still Butterscotch's son. He still inherited the generational trauma that Butterscotch passed down to him. And he was still raised by Butterscotch. So he's a lot more like Butterscotch than he wants to be. I think this is one of the reasons they used Will Arnett. To show they're more alike than Bojack would want you to think. They're more alike than Bojack would want. Also... It is cheaper to use the same voice actor for a lot of things, and Will Arnett does have a fantastic range. He plays Butterscotch very well. Personally, as a woman who is very attracted to Will Arnett's voice, I really like the way that Butterscotch's voice is even deeper than Bojack's. Will Arnett did a good job. Bojack requests that he and Diane get straight into the famous part, and she says it's alright if he's not ready to talk about his childhood yet. He again reiterates that it was normal, and says that she's the crazy one, not him although she never said he was crazy. He deflects again. She starts to ask about his father, and Laura calls. Laura has Princess Carolyn for him and says it's urgent. She puts him on hold. Jellicoe Cats plays again. I love this. I think this is such a great power play from Princess Carolyn, especially considering the way they broke up in the last episode. We see a great little animal gag here. She's running on a treadmill, and there's a little mouse toy hanging from the TV to motivate her to run. On her right is a cheetah running at top speed, and on her left is a sloth going so slowly that she's not running at all, and her feet are just dragging on the treadmill. 
Bojack answers sarcastically in classic Bojack fashion, and she says that MSNBC is talking about him. He hopes it's about good things. Diane is frustrated. On MSNBC, we see Tom Jumbo Grumbo. Neil McBeal, the Navy SEAL, is on leave from Afghanistan and is his guest. He says all Neil McBeal wanted was his favorite brand of breakfast muffins when he went to the store and called dibs. Bojack Horseman from Horsin' Around refused to respect his dibs. This is the first time we see the photo of Bojack sneezing on Marissa Tomei at a Christmas party. Bojack asks, why do they always use that photo? Fun fact, you can change your Netflix profile picture to this photo. It's been mine for years. Tom Jumbo Grumbo, in true anchor fashion, uses purple prose to describe how they laughed at Bojack on Horsin' Around, but that there is nothing funny about a stealing a meal from Neil McBeal the Navy SEAL. God, I love when they use these tongue twisters. Tom Jumbo Grumbo is so angry that water comes out of his blowhole. Bojack defends himself to Todd and Diane that he didn't know that Neil McBeal was a Navy SEAL, he just thought he was a regular SEAL. Once again, I think it really shouldn't matter if he was a Navy SEAL, but I do recognize that that's not the point here. Neil McBeal on the television says that now that he's on TV, he's better than everybody because Bojack thought that he was better than everyone because he was on TV. Bojack says he didn't have dibs. Bojack wonders if he should call in and set the record straight, an obviously terrible idea fueled by his desperate need for approval and desperate need to be right, and Diane tries to stop him, but Bojack is already calling, having assumed that she would yes-man him, like most people in his life do. He's on the phone with MSNBC and is asked to apologize, and he wants to discuss the intricacies of dibs. Neil reiterates that he hid him, and Bojack asks how he survived in Afghanistan if he considered that to be hiding. And Neil is so upset that he starts barking like a seal and asks Bojack to give him back his muffins hysterically. Bojack says that he can't because he ate them all, which shocks everyone. Twelve muffins since this morning? Todd says, dude. Tom Jumbo Grumbo clarifies and Bojack says, yes, in one sitting because I have no self-control and I hate myself. Diane is trying to get him to stop talking. Tom Jumbo Grumbo confirms with Neil how big the box was. Bojack says, I didn't even want one. There's your goddamn news story, the mystery of my missing goddamn self-respect. He hangs up and asks how he came off, similarly to the last episode with the Charlie Rose interview and the, the infamous Biscuits Braxby episode. Todd, forever an optimist, says, slightly better than the worst it could possibly have gone. We have another establishing shot, Bojack's pool, and there's a horsey float with a beer in it floating on the water. We cut to Bojack's office. One of the first things we see is a large painting hanging above where Diane is sitting. It's an animal parody of Matisse's La Danse. Again, as always, please excuse my French pronunciation. I really can't do it, and that's embarrassing for me as a person who studies art history. La Danse is a Fauvist work. And let's talk about Fauvism for a minute. Fauvism is an early 20th century modern art movement, and unlike its predecessor, Impressionism, it emphasizes painterly qualities and bold colors rather than representational and realistic things. It's post-Impressionist, which is one of my favorite eras of art. Henri Matisse was one of the leaders of the movement, although it only lasted a couple of years. They loved brushwork, they loved simplification and abstraction. I said it was post-Impressionist. I would say it's actually kind of a subset of post-Impressionism, an extreme version of it. I definitely believe it was inspired by pointillism like Seurat and neo-Impressionism like Signac. 
you can see influences from Cezanne and Gauguin in the colors and the shapes and the bold primitivism. Personally, I don't really like that term. I find it to be a little bit racist, quite frankly, but it's the term we have in art history right now. So I do apologize for that. Fauvism is similar to expressionism. There's a similar use of color and brushwork, but it's not expressionist. It's very avant-garde, though, and heavily inspired by African and Oceanic art, as well as other non-Western art, and led toward the development of Cubism. It was definitely controversial at the time. La Danse is one of Matisse's most famous works. It's a celebration of life and joy and letting go of convention, letting go of propriety. It's simple and energetic, and it flows beautifully with the circle of arms in the dance. You can really tell that it's a dance. The colors are saturated and beautiful. The figures are free, free from their lives, free from artistic convention. It's a celebration of harmony for Matisse. For me, I think this really does speak to the art style of Bojack Horseman. Bojack Horseman has this very unique art style. Some people love it, some people hate it. Personally, as you can probably guess, I love it. I think it's beautiful, especially in later seasons, but even from the beginning, even from the primary sketches, even from the pitch treatments, I think it's amazing. I think it's heavily influenced by 90s zine art, which when you look at the art before the horse, you can see a lot of Lisa Hanawalt's zine work from the late 90s and early 2000s. There's a style about it that's not quite realistic, not quite representational, and yet still gives you the feeling of realism, still invokes strong emotion in you, similarly to fauvism. Now, of course, the art style in Bojack is much more defined by realism than fauvism was, but for instance, in La Danse, there are no clear indications of facial expression or really of gender, although I guess in a couple of the figures we do see breasts. It's not about that kind of thing. It's not about those things at all. It's about the human condition. It's about the feeling that it evokes. And although there are definitely humans in the Bojack Horseman universe, I think that the fact that they're being represented by animals kind of ties back into this. You don't necessarily need a human face. And I think the human faces are actually the most boring ones in the show, the least expressive. I think we identify with the animals. I think we are meant to identify with the animals, even though, of course, it's not realistic. I may be going out on a limb here. I may be going absolutely nowhere, but as an art historian, this is where my brain goes. If you're interested in more works of fauvism, I definitely recommend you look up Matisse. And some other artists that you might enjoy are André Durand. Um, I love Georges Braque. He's wonderful. Maurice de Vlamnik. Jean Metzinger. I also love Kies van Dongen. One of my favorite Fauvist works is Robert Antoine Pinchon's 1904 work, Triel sur son, Le Pont du Chemin de Fer. Again, I do apologize. But Matisse is, of course, the most famous. It is truly a fascinating movement in art history. Once again, I apologize for the tangent, but back to Bojack. He says that everyone's out to get him because he's so famously well-adjusted as he pours himself a whiskey. 
Diane laments the fact that they're filming a reality show at her house and she can't get any privacy unless she goes to the roof because they don't have insurance to film up there. Honestly, that's some manic pixie dream girl shit. I think that Diane is an interesting character because she very easily could cross over into the realm of manic pixie dream girl, but like everything else in this show, nothing is that simple. Diane is not that simple. She's not a manic pixie dream girl. She's a real person. And I think that's really refreshing. As much as I, a person who grew up in the 2000s, love a good Manic Pixie Dream Girl movie. I hate to admit it, but 500 Days of Summer has always been one of my favorites. And Scott Pilgrim vs. The World is absolutely one of my favorite movies of all time. But the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope needs to be subverted. And Bojack does a beautiful job of it. Bojack thinks it's adorable that she goes up on the roof. And Diane explains that she used to do that with her dad as a kid to look at the stars. Hearing her say that again made me a little bit sad, quite frankly. It made me think of the final scene with Mr. Blue, of the two of them just looking at the stars. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I am sorry if I just made you cry. Diane segues into asking if he was close to his father. We're blessed with another flashback. Butterscotch is holding a ship in a bottle. Bojack walks up with his cute little sailor outfit and a handmade card that says Daddy on it and says, Happy Father's Day, Daddy. And Butterscotch criticizes the shoddy craftsmanship of the heart, saying it looks like a lima bean. Bojack, upset, says that he tried his best. Butterscotch replies that he slacked off and took the easy way out, then asks if Bojack takes a boat from here to New York if he's going to go around the horn like a gentleman or cut through the Panama Canal like some kind of Democrat. Bojack, who is of course a child, says, the canal? And Butterscotch slaps him and says, the horn like God intended. And poor baby Bojack's crying face makes me so upset. It's so cute, but so sad. I do think it's worth noting that there are a bunch of waterscapes and ships in the background in Butterscotch's office. And like I said, he is building a ship in a bottle. I think this is indicative of Butterscotch's desire to get away. He wants to escape. He doesn't love his family. He doesn't want to be there. He never did. I do think that at the very beginning of their relationship, he did love Beatrice. I think he cared about her, but they were both so toxic. There was no way that relationship was ever going to work. And they tried to for Bojack's sake, not because they wanted to, but because of the propriety of the era. But it was never a good relationship. It goes back to our theme of water, of the great unknown, of chaos and wonder and something new. But it adds this deep desire to escape. I had never noticed that before, but on this rewatch, I think that's a little bit important. Back to the present, Bojack just says, uneventful. Diane says she asked if he was close to his father, and then he sat there for five minutes before saying, uneventful. This is a great subversion of cartoon tropes. So often we see this happening in cartoons, just strange non sequiturs happening after a cutaway or a flashback. But... As per usual, Bojack Horseman is wonderful at overturning these kinds of tropes. Bojack ducks out of the conversation again, still distracted by the muffin situation. He says that they can continue later. There's a special bulletin where we see Tom Jumbo Grumbo on the screen. Now, one thing that I think is always important to look for when MSNBC is on is the ticker at the bottom of the screen. It is rife with jokes. Let's just take a moment to read through all the things that it says on the ticker. Here are the headlines. Man bites dog. Dog sues man. Cute child does things on internet. 
Scientists discover water on ocean floor. UN declares war good for absolutely nothing. Says it again now. Orange juice discovered to have several orange properties. AIDS still a thing. I wanted to write novels, you know. U.S. government grants amnesty to millionaires. Happy birthday to Enid Smith, America's oldest woman. New Yorker goes to Italy, complains about pizza. Condolences to the family of Enid Smith, America's former oldest woman. Milk, milk, lemonade. Around the corner, gentrification. I'll read you all the ticker headlines every time we run across them. But just for your own enjoyment, please take a moment to pause every time they come across the screen because they really do contain some gems. With the I wanted to write novels, you know, I do wonder if it's supposed to be Randy writing these things. I kind of hope so. I love Randy. We'll talk more about him in just a second. On the bulletin, Bojack and Neil McBeal are arguing about dibs with Tom Jumbo Grumbo between them. Neil says that he spent a year in Afghanistan making the world safer, and Bojack is skeptical, saying, You specifically made it safer? Tom Jumbo Grumbo says, Surely even you would agree that the troops are heroes. But Bojack doesn't agree, saying, Maybe some of them are, but not automatically. I'm sure a lot of the troops are jerks, he says. Most people are jerks already, and it's not like giving a jerk a gun and telling him it's okay to kill people suddenly turns that jerk into a hero. Which, Bojack is spitting facts, but there's dead silence. He is confused as to why what he said was bad. So am I. I mean, not really. I understand the culture in America. I understand the culture that perpetuates the idea that this is a terrible criticism, but this is reason number three why I call this episode Bojack Gets Gaslit. I think it's a very valid criticism. Did you just say the troops are jerks? Tom Jumbo Grumbo asks. Oh, you took that the bad way, didn't you, Bojack says. As a side note, I do think it's probably important that the Hockney painting we talked about in the last episode of the podcast is behind Bojack for the entire interview. I think Bojack wants to have this appearance of being very cultured and very rich and famous. And what better way to do that with a very famous piece of artwork behind you? But I think once again, it ties into his sadness and his loneliness in the world and the fact that he's being gaslit by everyone for thinking that he has terrible criticisms and ideas of a very serious subject. But of course, it's the news and it's sensationalized, so he's going to be seen as the bad guy. Some news crews have showed up outside of Bojack's house. He's watching, he's re-watching the interview over and over again, ruminating on it, which is definitely characteristic of many mental illnesses, especially BPD and ADHD. It says, report, Bojack hates troops, of course, where we get the episode title. Laura calls Bojack and says that Princess Carolyn needs to talk to him immediately and then puts him on hold for like an hour. Jellicle Cats plays again. And just for a second, can we address his adorable little horse slippers? I love those. It's a great detail. Princess Carolyn says everything is not great. Bojack says he doesn't hate the troops, just one specific troop. Same, Bojack. He doesn't even hate him. He just thinks he's wrong about the muffins, which is reasonable. This is where Bojack and I disagree. I hate Neil McBeal. He sees helicopters outside of his house and draws the blinds completely. Princess Carolyn says, I know, just like always, you're right and everyone else is wrong, but if you don't swallow your pride, this is never going to let up. I know you're stubborn. I'm not stubborn, I'm proud, he says. It's kind of the same thing, she says. 
No, it's an important distinction, he says stubbornly. Fine, you're not stubborn, she replies. She says she needs to tell him something very important and needs him to listen carefully and then puts him on hold again. Jellicle cats. Back to the news. Day three of the great Bojack jerk-off. This is our first mention of Randy. I love Randy so much. Just like Erica, I think he's a wonderful thing to kind of look out for. When you track his and Tom Jumbo Grummo's relationship throughout the course of the series, it just makes the joke all that much sweeter. Tom Jumbo Grummo is annoyed at the title of the segment. He says, that's the name we came up with for this? They show a shot of Bojack's house from above and protesters outside his gates. The tagline is, celebrity who hates our troops has not left his home since Monday. We see the protesters. A bear with a sign that says, Bojack's views are unbearable is interviewed. We see another tagline, has been, hates troops, looks fat. This is eerily reminiscent of something that Bojack would say to himself. It sounds just like his negative self-talk and the way that he talks to himself through newspaper headlines, the way that his father talked through newspaper headlines. Tom Jumbo Grumbo says he voiced his opinion, even though it was unpopular, even though that's the most cowardly thing a person can do. They then go to Pam, who claims that he covered himself in sheets like an Arab after they had sex, which I'm not going to rule out considering the way that she said she was going to tweet about all the weird stuff he does in bed and the fact that we've seen some of the weird stuff he does in bed, but I doubt that he covered himself in sheets like an Arab because I'm not entirely sure what that means and it sounds pretty xenophobic. (laughs) Bojack may be a little bit speciesist, but I've never seen him be directly racist. They cut to the Capitol where Congress is voting on a major education bill that could restructure, and we don't find out because Tom Jumbo Grumbo interrupts to talk about Bojack more. This is so realistic in terms of how news media is treated today. The celebrity news is sensationalized. The real news is put on the back burner. I can't tell you how many times I've had to find out actual news through Twitter when the real news is telling me just fluff stuff, which is really backwards, but is one of the reasons I stay on social media. Bojack's Lexus is coming out of the garage, which they report on. Todd and Diane are driving the car. Todd is smiling. There's a bunch of crap in the back seat, and Todd has no remarks, so they leave. We see that Bojack has some really cute little carrot underwear. I love his obsession with carrots. It's very horse-like. One of my favorite things to do with one of my favorite horses as a kid was feed her carrots. The look on her little face was just so great, and I just really remember feeling like she loved me, you know? It was second only to oat and molasses cookies. Miss ya, Shasta. Bojack pops out from underneath the pile of laundry, and Todd says not to worry that he has a plan. Of course, Todd's shenanigans usually work out, but this time it won't. He calls Ayako, who is upset that he's broke. If we look closely, we see that the person next to her is scamming Blue Jay, the paparazzo that we see blackmail Bojack and pop him every now and then. Todd says he meant that he was rich because he had friends like George Bailey, which which is a character from the classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, if y'all don't know. Ayako, of course, does not know who that is. She hangs up, and he's out of ideas. Diane suggests they go to hers and Mr. Peanut Butter's house as the helicopters continue to follow. There's a pig paparazzi, or maybe just a person, who has tied a balloon to himself so he's flying to take a picture of Bojack, who wants to be away from cameras. I'm not sure if this is a when pigs fly joke or something more specific, like Bojack will admit he's wrong when pigs fly, but it is a good background gag either way. They're instantly transported to the reality show at Mr. Peanut Butter's house with cameras in Bojack's face. 
Bojack asks if they need to be filming that, and Peanut Butter says they have to film everything. This is the first time we see Mr. Peanut Butter in Diane's house. He has a centerpiece on the table, possibly a cake stand, with a pile of dog bone treats on it. He also has a framed poster from Mr. Peanut Butter's house in the back. Once again, Mr. Peanut Butter is terrible at wordplay. They all have drinks, and he's drinking out of a dog bowl. Todd is eating some of the dog treats. And Bojack wants to fix everything and no longer cares about who was right, even though he was definitely right, and wants his privacy back so he can write his tell-all so people will pay attention to him again. There's a bowl of decorative tennis balls on the table in the background, and all of Mr. Peanut Butter's decor is tennis ball colored. Princess Carolyn has reached out to the McBeal camp and says that he's willing to publicly forgive him if Bojack is willing to publicly apologize and present to him a box of muffins as a symbol of admiration for the American military and everything they do. They got another box of muffins, but Bojack didn't realize that's what they were for and ate them too. 12 in 10 minutes. Which, again, Bojack says that he weighs 1,200 pounds, so I don't think this is that unreasonable. But I also think that that's a throwaway joke they made in episode 1 that they don't really ever revisit again and doesn't make total sense for the rest of the series. But I still think about it all the time. Princess Carolyn is enraged by this, but then she calms down. Todd says... The muffins are on him because due to Ayako, he just found he has $80 in the bank, which is unsettlingly relatable to me. I'm helping! Hooray! He says, jogging off screen to go get the muffins. Bojack wonders if he has to go on MSNBC again, and Princess Carolyn says they should do it where people can see it. Mr. Peanut Butter, of course, suggests to go on Peanut Butter and Jelly. He and Bojack once again bicker over the title because Mr. Peanut Butter still doesn't understand how it's not clever. And to be clear, it's not clever. The girl who's filming is wearing a Miss Prince t-shirt, a parody of a Misfits t-shirt, and it's clearly not a human skull, but I can't tell exactly what it is. Maybe some kind of monkey or ape. This is not the last time we'll see her. She appears in many camera crews throughout the series. We definitely see her on the set of Filbert, and I believe we also see her on Hollywood Stars and Celebrities, What Do They Know? Do They Know Things? Let's find out. Cut to the exterior of Peanut Butter's house, nighttime. He has a large painting of zoomed-in tennis balls in his living room. He and Bojack very naturally set up the meeting with Neil McBeal. They're terrible actors, which is of course very ironic considering the fact that they're both actual actors. We see this time and time again with these two. Although Mr. Peanut Butter has been in a considerable number of movies and TV shows and commercials and things like that, he's not a good actor. Bojack, of course... Once he gets to Secretariat and Filbert has learned how to be a better actor, has learned how to access that emotional depth, but definitely not at this point, and it's definitely not something that comes naturally to him. The doorbell rings, and Mr. Peanut Butter's ears stand at attention, his head whipping around as he says, Someone's at the door! excitedly, because of course he's a dog. He goes to answer it, and Neil McBeal shows up. All three are equally as awkward, and I just want to give props to Patton Oswalt for how perfectly he plays this scene. It is so beautifully awkward, and no one could have done it quite like he did. Mr. Peanut Butter not so sneakily sneaks off the screen with his tongue out to leave Bojack and Neil McBeal to have their conversation. Todd appears behind the couch, having tried to buy the muffins, but his bank card got declined, so he found a bag of stale hamburger buns behind the In-N-Out instead. Now, Bojack, while he may not be a great actor, is good at thinking on his feet, and particularly about lying. This is something that's not uncommon at all in people with ADHD and BPD. As someone with ADHD myself, I can say confidently that 
I'm a pretty good liar. It's not a trait that I'm proud of, but between the ability to mask that we've developed and just the impulse to tell white lies sometimes for no real reason, most people with ADHD are pretty decent at lying. I can't speak for people with BPD, but I do know that, like I've said, they fall under a similar neurodivergency umbrella, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's also something that comes second nature to many of them. Bojack makes this big, grandiose speech about how the buns are a symbol of how we throw our veterans in the trash, we send our muffins overseas, and they come back as stale hamburger buns. And that doesn't mean we should love them any less, because in their own way, aren't stale hamburger buns just as good? He eats one with a big smile on his face, and Neil McBeal pressures him into saying Neil McBeal's a hero. Bojack relents. He says, you're a hero. The troops are heroes every single one. And I don't believe saying that cheapens the words and actually disrespects those we mean to honor by turning real people into political pawns. His ears go back, annoyed. They squabble over the bag. Also, he says, I am not deeply ambivalent about a seemingly mandated celebration of our military by a nation that claims to value peace, telling our children that violence is never the answer while refusing to hold our own government to the same standard. Neil McBeal says they're on the same page. Furthermore, Bojack says, I do not find it unbelievably appropriate that this conversation is taking place on reality television, a genre which thrives on chopping the complexities of our era into easily digestible chunks of empty catchphrases. And finally, I don't... And the boom guy interrupts to say that Mr. Peanut Butter got a bucket stuck on his head. Personally, I'd have loved to have heard Bojack's last point because I fully agreed with his prior ones. I think he's been making excellent points throughout the episode. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that you have to agree with me or Bojack. These are just my personal feelings on the matter. Mr. Peanut Butter is struggling with a bucket on his head, asking for help. Neil McBeal and Todd think it's adorable because who doesn't love a dog with a bucket on its head? Bojack says he had another point to make, but nobody cares. They go to see Mr. Peanut Butter with the bucket, and he howls. The Miss Prince camera woman gets the bucket off, and everyone cheers. He calls her a real hero, to which Bojack says, unbelievable. We find out her name is Angela, but her friends call her Jelly, thus completing the Peanut Butter and Jelly duo. Things always work out for Mr. Peanut Butter, unlike Bojack. Well, not always, (laughs) especially in his personal life. But in terms of career success, they tend to work out much better for him. Bojack goes to the roof where Diane is smoking a cigarette with his bag of stale hamburger buns. He chuffs. You know what the problem is with everybody? They all just want to hear what they already believe. No one ever wants to hear the truth, he says. She says that she wants to hear the truth, even though she's unsure if he's ready to tell it. He asks what she means, and she calls him out for not telling her about his childhood and his father. She says she can write him a standard, empty-calorie celebrity tell-some, but she thought he wanted more. He says he does. She says he'll have to open up and give her something real, and he takes that as a challenge. Okay, from now on, full truth. Warts and all. You're not going to make me look like an asshole, are you? She replies, I don't know. Are you an asshole? This is definitely very important foreshadowing for later in the series when Diane releases his book, which is full of warts without his consent, full of Bojack's trauma without his consent. 
I was speaking about this on TikTok recently, and I asked why a lot of people don't like Diane, because I've noticed that that's something very common in fan communities. And most of the people who answered said that that was a big reason for it. The way that she released the book, they thought it was scummy and pretty upsetting. I don't disagree with that. I think it was a bad choice. And this is definitely not a piece of foreshadowing I picked up on the first couple times I rewatched, but especially since thinking about what my followers on TikTok have said, I think that this is very important. I also think it speaks to their relationship in general. From this moment on, everything is warts and all. It's the full truth, which definitely, which comes to be too much for Diane. It comes to be a burden for her. This unbridled truth from the two of them to each other creates this toxicity between the two that just feeds off of each other. I'm not saying you shouldn't tell the truth to your friends. My best friend and I share everything. I don't think there's anything we don't know about each other. We tell each other even the most embarrassing and personal things. But if one or both people in the relationship is very toxic, then that's going to be harmful in the long run. He is an asshole, so she's going to make him look like one. Diane has the sense of a moral high ground where the truth is important, the truth that comes above everything else, and that does make sense for a journalist and for someone who writes memoirs, but at the same time, you can't really do that to your friends. You can't really do that to people who have asked you not to tell. That's something that's a little bit scummy to do to your friends. Especially since from the very beginning of the episode, he's asked her repeatedly not to put several things in the book. This plays into our generational trauma. Bojack is also an alcoholic. Butterscotch was a failed novelist, he says, and his mother was the heiress to the Sugarman Sugar Cube's fortune, which his father resented her for. Butterscotch used to make Bojack cry with him to Cole Porter Records and made him build his own treehouse but tore it down while Bojack was at summer camp because instead of using hardy Christian nails, he used screws, which he called... Fancy Jew nails. Like he said, totally normal. I think it's a bit heartbreaking how Bojack, like many of us, jokes about his trauma. Bojack finally opens up. He says his parents drank a lot. He talks about it as if it's not as serious as it is, but listening to his stories, seeing the flashbacks, seeing how his parents treated him, the fact that Butterscotch abused him physically and emotionally. Bojack went through a lot of trauma as a child. It definitely informs the person he is today. We pan up to the stars, and the pig is still in the sky, seemingly unable to get down. And then we go back in the 90s. As I said, I found this week's episode to be a little bit lackluster. It's certainly not one of my favorites, and not one I think about very often, with the exception of my seething hatred for Neil McBeal the Navy SEAL. The episode we'll be going over next time, Prickly Muffin, I think is a much more important and All that being said, I am still a massive BoJack fan, and even the filler episodes are important. Even the filler episodes are somewhat memorable to me, so much more interesting episodes. So we're definitely going to be getting into some deeper stuff in that one. I hope that this was entertaining today, and I just want to take a moment to say thank you all so much. I expected maybe 20 or 30 people to listen to last time's podcast And I looked at my anchor today, and over a thousand of you have listened to it. You tell me on TikTok all the time how much you love it, and I cannot tell you, I really can't, how much that means to me. 
I put a lot of love and care into this and it is my first time doing something like this. So I am very nervous about it. So all of your feedback is just tune in next time for an exploration of Prickly Muffin, where we first meet Sarah Lynn. Thank you so much for listening and I can't wait to see you all again. This has been 17 Minutes, a BoJack Horseman podcast. Once again, my name is Kat and you can find me on TikTok or on Twitter under my handle KerseyCat, which is K-E-I-R-S-E-Y-C-A-T. I also have a link tree that has a couple of Spotify playlists I've made about BoJack Horseman and links to my social medias. If you'd like to ask me questions there or just talk to me, I'd love to hear from you. Have a great day, y'all. I love you. It's everything to me.